love about this morning's text, as Dwayne read it for us, is John kind of reveals in it very much um, the, the human nature of Jesus Christ, the, the human reality of Jesus Christ. If you, if you remember what she, was, what she was talking about is there's the story of the disciples deciding that they're going to go fishing, which is what they were wont to do. They were fishermen and they were going to go fishing. And, and as they were fishing, they look out and they see Jesus on the shore. And they want to be with him. And Peter particularly jumps out of the boat. I found it interesting that he put the coat on as he jumped out of the boat. I would have assumed he would have stripped off, but, you know, that was Peter's goal. And so he wanted to see Jesus. And so he jumps into the water and he gets to Jesus. And it is there that Jesus Christ makes them breakfast. He starts a fire and he has bread for them and he has fish for them. As I say, I love it when John brings the very humanity of Christ to the story. Each time as we've gone through the, through the different weeks of the series, what we've seen is that Jesus Christ lived his life like we did. That he had friends, that he had relationships, that he had feelings, that he was human in a very human way. I, I say I love it because I really believe the expression of Christ's humanity is essential to the message of John. As we've been going through this series, what I've been saying all along is the beauty, the, 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 the joy, the, the, the um, value of studying the book of John is because John wrote the book to introduce us to Jesus, to show us who Jesus Christ was, what he came to do, what he taught, his very nature. And as I said at the very beginning, the most important thing that we as Christians can study is Jesus Christ. And so as we've been going through this study in John, what has been revealed to us over and over and over again is Jesus. And it is so important that we understand Jesus in his humanity. See, Jesus Christ is our standard. He is our example. He is the path for us to follow. The value of studying John and studying the life of Jesus Christ is found in that. Jesus Christ shows us and teaches us and reveals to us by his life, by his words, by his work, by all that he was, what we're supposed to be, where we find life, where we find hope, the pathway for us to live. John revealing the humanity of Christ, the the authentic nature of his human existence, with, with emotion and, and relationship, with, with, with loyalty and betrayal, is all a part of how we can learn, how we can know what it is to be followers of Jesus Christ. He was betrayed just like we are betrayed. He loved deeply just like we love deeply. He lost profoundly like we can lose profoundly. He got angry, he felt anguish, he was in sorrow. The same way in which we get angry. The same way in which we are in anguish. The same way we can feel deep sorrow. He can be anguished, he can be sorrowful, he can be hungry and cold and tired. Like we are hungry and cold and tired. 
John's description of Christ's relationships, his experiences, his humanity is essential to the book and to our study because it lays out the platform that allows us to follow Jesus Christ and his teachings. In this, I can see in his life the interaction between Christ's human living and Christ's divine teaching, and I can believe in its power. I can see Jesus Christ's own application of the divine truth upon his human life and believe that it is not only a good way to live, but the only way to live. That what he said and what he did and how he walked and how he interacted is the way that I'm supposed to live my life, is the way that it is best for me to live my life. I can believe in all that Christ is and says and does because he faced the questions of humanity and prescribed the answers in his divinity and it's all laid out for me, for my life, for the choices I make. He faced what we face, and he rose above it through his work, through who he was, through who the Father was, through what his calling was. Hebrews chapter 4 explains this very idea when it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way and every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. The last 60 weeks of this study has been about showing us that Jesus Christ was in in his flesh like us and was tempted and was tested. But he overcame and shows us that we can also overcome. We can look at his life and believe that it is what has been all about, that his whole life has been about showing us how to live our lives. That the application of belief in the divine work of Jesus Christ is the pathway forward for each of us. That's what the the verse we read this morning really is saying. John writes and says in John 20, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John makes clear that the recordings of Jesus Christ's life is meant to inspire us to belief and a belief in a very, very specific way. I referenced throughout this series over and over and over again, how through, throughout the book of John, he brings into the, the conversation the need for us to believe. Time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, both Jesus and John say, believe in me. Have belief. Believe in this. And as I've said throughout the series, The belief that we're talking about here is very specific. It is a very specific idea of belief. It is not simple mental assent, but it is the application of belief. It is literally the idea that we rest upon this, that we put our faith in this, that it is that which upholds us, that which sustains us. I believe so deeply 
that all that I am rests upon this belief. This is what we're called to throughout the book of John. This is what Jesus Christ says to us, to believe in him. It is not simply, oh yeah, I believe, or oh yeah, I, I believe in this Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It is not simple mental assent, but it is looking and saying, I believe, and then activating that belief in the life you live. This is the belief that is being encouraged and cultivated in the book of John. He's saying, I want you to see what Christ has said, the values and the teachings he espoused. And then I want you to see how he lived in accordance with those words and how he brought about life and redemption so that you might believe and do the same. He's saying, I want you to see the instructions he gave to find peace and the way he himself found peace. I want you to see the instructions that he gave to find contentment and the way he himself lived in contentment. See the instructions he gave to show love and the way he himself loved. See the instructions he gave for sacrifice and the way he himself sacrificed. See the encouragement to live in power and see the way he himself manifested the power of God through the Holy Spirit. John is saying, believe in Christ. Trust in his teachings, his words. Depend upon his instructions. Act in faith in what he has said because you can look upon his life and the powerful truth that it is. What he is saying here expresses deeply two really fundamental truths about the nature of Christian belief. As John describes the very nature of his book, where he says, I have written these things so that you might believe, and in believing you might have life, John is describing to you two very fundamental ideas that we as Christians need to take with us every single day of our lives. It is foundational to what it is to be a Christian. And I emphasize these this morning because they are true, two fund, fundamental, foundational parts of being a Christian that many of us don't really get and too few of us actually apply every single day. And when you look at it, both of these are so integrated with one another. They, they live off of each other and they feed into each other. The first fundamental truth being revealed in John's statement in verse 31 is this. Christian belief is a belief of integration. Now, I understand that I've touched on this even already this morning to a degree, but I, I, I emphasize this because this is so incredibly important for us as Christians to understand, and it is so um, incredibly applied so rarely. Christian belief is a belief of integration. Christian belief is only Christian belief when it is applied practiced in your life, when you find a dependency on Christ, on his life, his words, his teaching, his works, when everything rests upon that. One of the problems that we see so often in Christian lives is we have people who say they are Christians but have no idea how this works, has no idea in doing this. 
Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I agree with the things that Jesus says. Yes, I think it's right. Yes, I think it's the right to do things. And then when we get into our day-to-day lives, we never apply the things we say we believe in. John is making a declaration about belief and he's saying it is a level of belief that is integrated in such a way that you don't know how to do anything other than that. Too few Christians really understand that the hope and the life and the peace and the joy and the healing and the restoration only come in Christ when you truly believe in an integrated way in Jesus Christ. He tells us to love a certain way, to forgive a certain way, to find peace a certain way, to find joy a certain way, to sacrifice a certain way. And then he demonstrates all of that the way he lived. And he empowers us to follow that with the work he did on the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might have integrated belief in him. It's not a half measure. It's not a pick and choose. It is integrating all of Christ in all that we are. It is forgiving because he told us how to forgive even when we don't feel like it. It is sacrificing, how he asks us to sacrifice even if it's difficult. It's prioritizing the kingdom and righteousness over the things of this, of this world even when what we want goes against what he desires, even when it means denying what our flesh desires. It is finding peace in the face of pain and turmoil because our goal is to honor God and not to simply find comfort. He showed us a way and our belief requires us to follow that way. And when we don't, we don't really believe. The second truth revealed in John's statement is Christian belief is a belief rooted in evidence. So what we see here is he's saying, listen, you need to believe. It needs to be an integrated idea. Everything rests upon it. Your faith is upon it. But John doesn't come to us and say, just believe because I say you should believe. The declaration we see here in John chapter 20 is this expression of, I want you to see why you should believe. Christian belief is a belief rooted in evidence. And this isn't blasphemous, and this doesn't contradict Christ's declaration earlier to Thomas about believing without seeing. Christian belief is not blind, it is not uninformed. It is a belief that is and is meant to be rooted in the evidence presented by the life of Jesus Christ and the fruit of his teaching. I'm talking here specifically about the application, about the presentation, about seeing the truth and then believing it. Seeing the effects and believing it. Seeing the works and believing then from that. We can have a whole conversation about the apologetics of things. We can have a whole conversation about the case for Christ kind of ideas. But I'm talking specifically here because I think this is what John is talking about, which is see Jesus and believe. This is really John's approach. He's saying, I want to give you the evidence to prove the truth of Christ the Messiah. 
John says here, I am recording this so that you might believe. I'm showing you his works so that you might believe. Look at what he did. Look at his life. Look at his power manifested in his miracles, in his life, in his resurrection, and believe. The entire second half of, of, of John chapter 20 and the, and, the, and the starting point of John chapter 21 really is about, is about showing the evidence to everyone that Jesus Christ rose again. He goes in and he says, listen, after, after he was buried, we went to the tomb. It was empty. He's given you evidence of the emptiness of the tomb. Later that day, he says, Jesus showed up to us and we touched his hands. We felt his wounds. And then, and then he, he showed up to Thomas because Thomas wasn't there and Thomas didn't believe us when we told him. And so he put his hands in the scars. I'm giving you evidence, he's saying. The entire story that we just read, look at it, the entire story we just read, what was the point of it? There really wasn't anything from a doctrinal or theological concept, there really wasn't even a conversation about Jesus, other than we were fishing, Jesus showed up and he made us breakfast. We sat down with Jesus after he died and talked with him and ate with him. He's giving us the evidence First-hand evidence. He's identifying other people that you can go and talk to. Ask them about it. This is written in contemporary, in, in, in contemporary to the events so that there is evidence. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think for a lot of us, we, we, we lose sight of, of the proximity of all this and, and what exactly they're, they're doing and the arguments that they're making. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about people who are still living that you can go talk to. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. You may, the apostles, you may have life in his name. Paul is making the same argument. He said, here is the evidence that Jesus Christ rose again. He's like, there are 500 people saw him. Most people are still alive. Go talk to him. Jesus rose again. And this follows Christ doing the same thing tied to the miracles he performed. You remember what he says in John chapter 10 when they're going to stone him? They're, they're, they're surrounding him and they're about to pick up stones and they're going to stone him to death because they don't believe. And Jesus responds to them and says, if I am not doing the work of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, at least believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus, in this declaration, makes an appeal to the evidence of the works he's doing. One of the reasons why Jesus healed, one of the reasons why Jesus did the miraculous, was to show that he was from God and that he was giving them evidence that he was Lord, that he was the Messiah that's been promised. 
belief in Jesus Christ, Christian belief in Jesus Christ, the belief we've described is not meant to be unrooted, is not meant to be unmoored, but it is tied to the evidence that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Jesus has said, look what I'm doing. Look at my works. Look what I have done and believe. So John is saying the same thing. Look at the totality of this story. It is the evidence for you to believe. When we see Jesus do his work, we find the evidence to believe that his word is true. And it is there that the two truths of John's statement come together to inspire us even today. I want, you to, I want to tell you something about my belief. I believe in Christ. I have an integrated trust in the teaching and life and work of Christ because I have seen the evidence of the work of Christ. And I continue to see the evidence of the power of Christ to redeem, to restore, to set free, to heal, to bring peace in the storm, joy in the struggle, and hope for a greater tomorrow. Jesus Christ showed me in his life, in his words, in his works, a pathway for me in my humanity to follow. That the Father in heaven cares for me and has called me. And when I depend on him through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a pathway for me in my humanity to follow. And as I have watched the application of the life he lived and the words he spoke, as I see the application of the work he did, I see every single day the evidence of its truth. And as a result, I continue to believe. I've spent a long life in Jesus, decades. And I've come across life after life, marriage after marriage, person after person that the work of Jesus Christ has transformed and changed. I've seen the healings of Jesus Christ. I've seen the redemption of Jesus Christ. I've seen the restoration of Jesus Christ. And I stand before you and tell you, I believe because I've seen the evidence of that belief. See, here is the truth. Everyone believes something. And I'm using the word belief in the way John intends it to believe. Everyone puts their faith, rests their lives, trusts in something. Everyone has a system of belief they put their trust in, that they depend upon, that they set their life upon. Whether they know it or not, they do. Every one of you in this place has set your, set your life upon a specific belief system. Everyone, every neighbor you have, every coworker you have, sets their life upon a specific belief system, whether they know it or not. Every day, people are making decisions as hedonists or, or as fatalists or as narcissists. 
Every day, people are, are living according to a belief in karma or in hum, humanism or in some combination of the isms of our humanity. And the only belief system I have seen that restores marriages and breaks addiction, that heals brokenhearted, that provides peace in spite of circumstances, consistently, every time true belief is applied, is the integrated Christian belief in Jesus Christ. I see the evidence of the work of Christ just as real as the disciples saw Jesus heal the lame man. That is the evidence of my belief. And there are very real reasons for this. There are very real reasons why the Christian belief system speaks into our lives, speaks into my life in a way that is profound, that is life-changing, that transforms individuals, changes marriages, sets people free. The words of Christ, the, the work of Christ allows us to rise above the things of this life, to rise above the concerns of this world, rise above the circumstances of this world, and allows us to move beyond the life and then live a life beyond the pettiness of self-indulgence. It allows us to rest in the truth that we have meaning and purpose and existence beyond the praise and the pleasure of this world. Belief in the words of Christ sets into motion the power of Christ's spirit to intervene just as powerfully as the, is the spirit intervened at the gate of the temple for Peter and for John. We have in Jesus Christ been, been lifted above the circumstances of this life, both in reality and in belief. I want to give you an example from one of the most human moments of Christ's life. I want you to think for a minute about the, about the scene we, 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 we looked at earlier in, in the book of John. Just a couple chapters before, we saw Jesus Christ on his pathway to the cross. Do you remember, do you remember the actions and the attitude and the demeanor of Jesus Christ? Remember as he, as he stood before Pilate, as Pilate held his hand in his life, his, his life in his hand, as Pilate was looking at him saying, do you understand that I can have you crucified? Do you remember the demeanor of Christ as he stood before him in calm and peace and said, the only authority you have is the authority that my father gives you? Remember the attitude and the heart and the calm and the peace that Jesus Christ had as he went to the cross, the heart of love and forgiveness as he hung on the cross for those who were torturing him, for those who were killing him, for those who betrayed him. He was in that place in a way that is beyond anything that you and I could possibly believe we could do. That in our humanity, we could do this. But I want to ask you, do you remember where Jesus was the night before? 
I said I want to take you guys to probably the most human moment of Jesus Christ's life, and I would say that that would be the time he spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ is facing all that we just described. And how does he describe his state? How does he describe his, his, his heart, his, his posture in that moment? Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point that I might die. The description in scripture is he is so heavy laden, he is so heavy burdened that he is bleeding, he is is sweating drops of blood. Jesus is sitting there in complete and total sorrow, broken hearted. And he's crying out to God. He's saying, if this cup could be taken from me, A lot of times we read that passage and I think we just skip over what Jesus Christ was going through, what he was was suffering through. You need to understand, this was the temptation of his life. From the day Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil, the entire point of Satan, Jesus was tempted in the the desert. What was the point of, 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 of Satan's temptation? To get him off this path. To get him to deny this pathway to the cross. When, when Peter, when he, when he said to Peter, listen, this is my path. This is where I'm going. I'm going to die on the cross. They're going to kill me. Peter said to him, heaven forbid, don't do that. And what did Jesus say? Satan, get behind me. Because the greatest temptation of, for Jesus throughout his life was to turn his back on the cross. The suffering and the pain. There was a real temptation to Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And for so often, we read that story and we just kind of brush past his struggle in that moment. Do you know what Jesus Christ did in his humanity as he's struggling with the temptation of the cross to turn from the plan, to turn from the goal, to turn away from that which has been laid out before him for his purposes in life? He spent time with God. Jesus withdrew to a time of prayer. This wasn't him just saying, if this, pass, if this cup could pass from me, that'd be great, but your will be done, and that was it. He spent hours and hours and hours in that garden, wrestling with his emotions, struggling through the temptation refocusing his heart and his mind on who he was and what his calling was and who the father was in his life and what it was he was there to do. His heart moved not from his, not from his own pain and his own comfort, but his heart moved towards, a, towards a, a love and a compassion and a grace for those that he loved and cared for. It was the refocusing of his life through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand who he was as the Son of God. The struggle that Jesus Christ had in that moment reveals to us the pathway forward as we face heartache, as we face temptation, as we face struggles. He put his life in the hands of the Father. He embraced the plan to honor God and bring life to others. He spent time in the truth with the Father, buoyed by the Spirit itself. He spent hours that night in prayer, in the Father's presence, 
And he overcame the very human struggle that he was having. His faith in the Father, his obedience to his will, his love for those who were suffering and those who were lost. That truth was found in God. And it allowed his peace in the pain and allowed his forgiveness in the offense. And to punctuate my point even further, I want you to look at how Hebrews 12 describes the source of Christ's ability to face the cross as an example to us. The author of Hebrews writes and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He writes here and he says, We in our humanity so often are tempted by sin. And it gets in the way of the calling that God has for us. But he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he tells us, here's the inspiration. He says, this is how we know. This is how we get there too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. Hebrews is making the same declaration I've been making to this point. Jesus Christ not only found peace in the cross, but it says he looked to the joy of the cross because of what would come because of what he did. And he says, understand your calling. Understand what he's done for you. Understand where he's calling you and the plan he has for you as you face the temptations of this life, as you face the heartache of this life, as you face the struggle of this life. Jesus Christ made a way. He showed us the way. The life of a Christian is belief based on the evidence, the transforming power and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus saw the transcendent joy in his sacrifice and he endured. And it is in that same way we find life in our true belief in Christ. My life is for the purpose and glory of God. And when I face temptation or struggle or anguish, I press deeper into the truth that I am here for his purposes. I press deeper into the truth of my calling and his word. And through the Holy Spirit, I find peace. My marriage is for the purpose and glory of God. It is not simply about my pleasure or my self-actualization, but to show a love and a devotion that glorifies the beauty of Christ. And when a husband and a wife rise above the pettiness of personal desire, pressing, into, pressing deeper into the calling we have in his word and the work of the Holy Spirit, we see marriages restored. My body belongs to Christ. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, 
It has been bought with a price, so it is meant to glorify God. And when I give it over to sinful desires, whether whether sexual or addictive, I betray that calling. So we press into the truth of the fullness found in Christ, in his presence, in his purpose, pursuing righteousness, we find freedom from the slavery of sin. Every time and in every way, a belief is integrated into the lives of into our lives, the work of Christ provides evidence of his truth. The only way a life in Christ works is if you truly believe. And the only life that truly works is one that believes in Christ. An integrated belief that provides evidence to believe produces true life. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Every one of us, if we claim to be a Christian, is called to believe. To set our lives on what Jesus Christ has said, what Jesus Christ has done, the pathway Jesus Christ has laid before us. And every time we betray that belief, we move further from the ability of God to change us, to transform us, to give us life. And every time we press deeper in, we will find the life he has for us. I bring this to you today because I truly believe in what I'm saying. If you're struggling in sin, there's life in an integrated belief in Jesus Christ. If your marriage is struggling, there is life in an integrated belief in Jesus Christ. I have seen the evidence over and over and over again. And the only time it's ever failed is when we stop believing. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will have life.